Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm talking with author Chad Modis. Chad, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you. It's exciting. Going to find out all about the new book that you have out called Grandpa Norman and the North Hill Gang, Chocolate Thoughts. So, Chad, can you tell me all about it? Sure, absolutely. The book idea is an idea that my wife, Vicki, and I, living here in North Hill, Akron, Ohio, in the International District, we came up with the idea of trying to create a story and a set of characters that help bring to life this international component of harmony and love. And we did that with animal characters with Grandpa Norman and his North Hill Gang, which is a series of characters that are developed after family members and important members of our family and the community that we have met here and hope to be an, an overreaching story over time. Grandpa Norman is patterned after Minister Norman Moore, a dear friend of ours, and his sage advice to a group of other animals that are living in the North Hill Forest, very much in an idea to try to help them along and all grow in an idea of community and family. Hmm. Chad, what kinds of readers were you writing toward here? The idea is a story that can hit home with parents of young children. We're thinking of kids between the grade, like first through fourth grades, being the main characters that can get the most out of it. But we also like the idea of stories that when the parents are reading them or reading them to their kids, it can have an impact on them also. So it's kind of a family set of stories with the idea of reaching as many as we can. It's the wholesome, moral-driven type stories. And the idea is hopefully grades one through four is perfect, and adults hopefully enjoy it also. Hmm. And Chad, once you got started on this, how long of a process were you looking at, clear up until it was published? From the time that we had the story written to the time it was published, it ended up being about an 11-month process. We found a great partner in Covenant Books that were able to help us walk through the process, being the first published book that we were able to put out. They were a great partner for us in going through the process of making sure that we had all the illustrations and everything in the story and the proofreading and everything done. was very happy with the process, and when we got it to actually go out toward the end of August of last year, we were very excited and thought the process went very smooth. Yeah, I was going to ask about the illustrations. Was that a challenge to get that in tune with your vision or did that go smoothly for you? You know what? It was exciting because we knew we, we had in our mind what we thought we wanted to have those pictures look at. We wanted a cartoony feel. We wanted a, a wholesome feel. And we were able to get that template in place pretty quickly. The artists at Covenant were very easy to work with. And we got that to come to life real quick. Wonderful. Chad, what does your writing background look like? Do you have any experience doing this before Grandpa Norman? 
I have done quite a bit of small writing, short stories, but more in the church and Sunday school and grade school realm, being in a mentor and coaching with different schools and school systems and just having an opportunity to do reading time and things with some of my own stories. The stories are kind of developed over time. I had these stories written and cataloged and always thought about the idea of creating a children's book series, but not understanding what vehicle to put that into. And the idea with Grandpa Norman and the North Hill Gang, being able to take those and now put them into short story forms and things that we are putting online. There's a lot of experience in just business writing, short story writing, conceptual writing. I've had some other things published in article form, but this is my first attempt at actually a book. When you finally got that first copy in, Chad, you got to hold it for the first time. It was real. What was that like? It was emotional. Uh, It was emotional for my wife and I. We took a night to go out and kind of celebrate a little bit and come home and have our box opening ceremony to look at those first things and to to kind of see that tangibly for the first time is exciting. It's like the birth of your own child. Well, I know a lot of people are going to love this book. I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Of course, it's called Grandpa Norman and the North Hill Gang, Chocolate Thoughts. It's written by Chad Modis, published by Covenant Books. So, of course, you can find it everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Chad, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about this. I had a nice time talking with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm looking at a new devotional. It's a compelling guide for opening one's heart to Christ and allowing Him into one's life. It's written by Melissa Piercy, and it's titled, Something Has to Break, 52-Week Devotional. We're going to be talking all about this right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. The author, Melissa, is with me now. Melissa, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Melissa, can you tell me all about this devotional? Yeah. So, like you said in the beginning, it's a 52-week devotional. It's about breaking strongholds that we have in our lives, some that we're aware of and some that we may not be aware of, and how God can reveal those areas and how He responds to us in a way that can help us find freedom in Him. It also allows space for us to just sit and let Him speak. There are questions at the end of each week to help get our minds thinking, especially if we've not been used to sitting quietly to hear the voice of God, or we're just not sure that the voice of God, or we just haven't ever really thought about those particular things in our life that might be a stronghold. Melissa, were you speaking to specific readers here? Yeah, it is for any woman, whatever age. I mean, if you are struggling in areas, it could be as early as your tween years, or you may be on up in years. It's for any female that has had any struggles in their life. And my hope is that if it is young girls, that it kind of helps propel them into a better situation throughout their life that they can start course correcting, I guess you could say. And then, of course, if you're in the middle of it to help get you set free. And then if you're further in your life and you just still are discouraged and it's just to help any female. I mean, I'm sure that some men could probably relate to a lot of the topics that are in there, but the target is for those ladies. Hmm. What inspired you to write this book, Melissa? How'd you get the idea? 
Well, it's kind of been a long process. I do a lot of journaling. And so about five years ago, I just felt like the Holy Spirit had kind of pressed upon me that I would write a book. And of course, I had tried a couple of times and just nothing ever happened. And then one day, and I, I tell a little bit about my story in the book, but one day after just some uh, struggles that I'd had, the Lord and I just sat down and I've always been a journaler. At that point, that first day I sat down and I wrote and I just allowed the Holy Spirit to speak into my heart and life about that situation. And from there, he said, now we're going to start writing the book. And so that started and I wrote every day until I was completed and it ended up being 52 week devotional. And have you ever done anything like this before, Melissa? Have you written or published before? I have not. This is my first. Congratulations. Thanks. Such a huge deal to get that first one out there. When you finally got that first copy in, that physical one, you got to hold this thing. Your name's on the cover and everything. What's that like? Honestly, I don't know if it's really even hit me yet. Hmm. It was so exciting to open it. Almost like, you know, a child on Christmas morning opening hmm. presents. But <laughs> this one was very personal because everything that I had envisioned from the cover all the way through the pages to the back cover was my vision on it. So it was kind of surreal, really, hmm. but exciting. Do you think there's more to come? Do you think you got more books in you? Well, I've had a lot of people ask me that. And, you know, I left the last few weeks into it. I left it to where there could be a, a second book that might lead in. And so I'm praying about it and we'll see what the Lord has in store. When it comes to the publishing end of things, there's a lot involved there. Melissa, what did you find the most challenging part of that for you? For me, it was hard to really cast the vision of what I wanted the cover to look like. It was probably one of the best experiences, honestly, though, because never have doing this before. They were just really good at sending me back things, and I'd be like, no, change this or change that. But it was pretty cool to go through that process. Again, the title is Something Has to Break, 52-Week Devotional. It's written by Melissa Piercy, and it's published by Covenant Books. So, of course, you can pick it up anywhere. Go on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you can pick this up. Well, Melissa, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me about this work and how you did everything. I had a really nice time talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's been wonderful. We're talking about the new book by E.F. Cater here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. It's the newest in the series, A James Anderson Romance Second Love. This one's called Ruby, James Come Dance With Me, a cross-generational love story. It's a story that celebrates true commitment and connection between God-connected souls. And I get to talk all about this book. The author, Dr. Cater, is here with me now. Dr. Cater, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be here. I'm happy to share. I'm happy to be learning about your book, Doctor. Can you tell me all about Ruby, James, Come Dance With Me? Uh, what's this book all about? Well, simply said in six words, obeying Jesus can spin you around. You know, in this book, we meet up with a widowed man in his mid-50s who has stayed on believing his age precludes marriage. He doesn't believe he has enough life left to give to a woman, and he has committed himself to living alone and lonely. When he meets up with Ruby, Jesus whispered into his heart, marry her. 
You are my answer to eight years of prayer for a godly husband. After wrestling through the night in prayer and fighting with Jesus over this inner voice that came from him, he argued until finally the voice of Jesus in the twilight said to him his final word, treat her as though she is my precious princess. And he obeyed Jesus. He did just that. He discovered his marching orders from the Lord was a sly, cunning, covert trap because treating Ruby like a princess that belongs to Jesus wrapped his heart around hers and her heart around his. But he still resisted that inner compass because of the 20-year difference in their edges. So this book is about a younger woman and a middle-aged man and the battle of wits that takes place and her attempt to talk him into marriage and her belief that God has sent her him to her. And so he's wanting to avoid that if he can and trips over his own tongue and admits that he loves her. What was the inspiration behind this book, Dr. Cater? Like other stories that I have written, this book started with an early morning vision. The vision woke me up when I saw Ruby and James, and I knew their storyline. I just woke up with it planted in my mind. And through prayer and life experiences, I pulled this together and researched and studied and found a way to tell the story that was inviting and at the same time interesting. And so I I believe Jesus provided me with this story because it's an answer to the quandary I have heard dozens of times while counseling women as a pastor. Too many women have husbands who don't inspire romance or pull themselves into a loving life-mate relationship. This book provides an example of the sort of man who, like Jesus, seeks a deep relationship and treats his wife in a loving way. On a personal level, I consider the book another step up on the rough and broken and uneven steps of life because it represents a big change in direction from just simply preaching the gospel, which I've done since 1975. From that preaching and teaching, I'm now writing these truths in the hope that I might touch lives and hearts and bring comfort and encouragement to some. How long of a process was this for you to write this book? You know... I sat down and made an outline, uh, wrote down notes about what I saw in the vision, and then worked on the whole process of developing a storyline and working to make this come together. In fact, I have an entire file on my computer that I call a junk file because I wrote things and then I pulled it apart and put it back together. And (laughs) (laughs) Some of those things, actually, I have a prequel that I have written for this, and it's not published yet that tells his first wife's story, and I have a sequel which tells about how they struggled with both of them were independent, both of them had been single for a while, and they needed to learn to work together. And so a lot of the parts that I pulled out of my rough copy wound up in the second sequel. I think a lot of marriages are going to be strengthened by this book, and I encourage those listening to check it out. Again, this is titled Ruby, James, Come Dance With Me. A Cross-Generational Love Story, and of course is part of the series of James Anderson Romance Second Love. It's written by E.F. Cater. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, so you can find it everywhere. Get on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes, or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll be able to pick this up. Well, Dr. Cater, thanks again for joining me tonight and telling me about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you very much. I'm excited right now to be joined by sisters Casey Reed and Sydney Mendenhall here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. They've produced a new book. It's titled 
Little Boat's Big Adventure. And I get to talk all about this with them. They're here with me now at the show. Casey, Sydney, welcome. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So, Casey, you are the author. Sydney, you illustrated this. So, Casey, can you tell me about the story? What do you write here? Yeah, absolutely. So, Little Boat's Big Adventure is a kid's illustrated book. So, Little Boat is getting ready to go on his very first adventure across the ocean. His goal is to reach a beautiful island all by himself. His parents give him some rules to follow, and the goal is to help him stay safe as he goes on his adventure. But the question is, can Little Boat follow the rules and make it safely, or will his determination wane? And how did the inspiration for this come about? Where'd you get the idea for this? Well, okay, my son was a toddler at the time, and he was transitioning from a crib to a toddler bed. And like all little boys out there, I'm sure, he had lots of very great energy, which really peaked at bedtime. So I love telling stories, and I love reading books. But I found that when I would read books to him, like I wasn't making the eye contact and he would just kind of wander away out of bed. So I decided to sit by his bed while he laid down and I would just make up a story on the spot. It usually featured him as the main character in something that he likes, you know, a, a truck or a, an animal or, you know, whatever, something that would keep his interest and have him lay down still long enough to fall asleep. And it worked really great. And one night I remember thinking, well, I'm a Christian, and I would love to teach more than just ABCs or fun stories. Like, I'd actually like to teach a little bit about mortality or, you know, just the morals. How can I do that in a story format? And so that night, I put him to bed, and Little Boat just came out naturally. And every time he'd start wiggling, I would add a little bit more conflict. It was amazing. It was his favorite story. He asked for that every night for months. Oh, wow. And after about a year, I was like, I should write this down. And then I called Sid and said, do you want to tell your side? <laughs> yeah. So when she called me, I was outside in my garden weeding while all my kids were taking naps. And when I answered, I was like, hey, Case. And she practically screamed my ear off with excitement. <laughs> and she was talking about, let's do a children's book, children's book together. It'd be so fun. And she told me about Little Boat if I would illustrate it. And I thought that would be so much fun because I have children of my own and I would love them to be able to see our work together. Mm. So that same day I sat down and sketched out a picture and that is what our cover is. Now, based on everything that you did along the way and you learned, what advice would you have now, both Casey and Sydney, both? I'd like to hear what advice you might have for the aspiring authors who are listening to us. On the author's side, I think what is really helpful is just sitting down and writing. I know that advice goes out a lot, but I find that in my busy day with my job and my kids and all the things I have going on at the end of the day, or even during those like discretionary times, there's always the choice of relaxing and indulging in entertainment, or there's the choice to sit down and write. And for me, I feel very fulfilled when I choose to write and to work through the plot and the characters. And as I start creating, it's so fulfilling. So my advice is, if this is something you're interested in, then make the sacrifice and find those areas, those times where you can fit it in because it's so rewarding. I agree with Casey. As an illustrator, I mean, it's always kind of hard to find times to find a still moment, especially in crazy life with kids and whatever you end up doing. 
something that came to my mind is the quote, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. Mm. And I really think that's important. Just put yourself out on that paper and see what happens. You can always erase it if you need to. (laughs) Absolutely. Nobody ever has to read it. Again, this is titled Little Boat's Big Adventure. It's written by Casey Reed and Sidney Mendenhall, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So that means you can get it everywhere. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. You'll be able to pick this up. Casey, Sidney, it has been truly wonderful speaking with you here tonight, learning all about the writing process and your illustrations. It was nice having you on the show. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ivy Charm is an enjoyable fictional biography that explores the life of a young man in a new town. The author is Mark Ivy. He's here with me right now. We get to talk all about this audiobook. Mark, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Mark, can you tell me all about Ivy Charm? What do readers find here? Okay, so it's basically a made-up fictional story about how it was for me adjusting to moving to a new town, which is Selma. So the overall plot is me discovering a whole nother world in the creation of my father, who is deceased. And I come to discover this world through a hole in the ground. And from here, I come to know many fascinating, young, and interesting citizens of this world called Ivylantis. And the citizens look and act just like me, and all of them have their own types of personalities depending on what character trait or charm the personality that they represent. So we have Nature Ivy, Gentleman Ivy, Wolf Ivy, and all these characters represent different aspects of my personality, and they all have their own type of style, characteristics, and their own personality upon the trait that they represent. So come to find out that there's this one bad charm of personality that represents all the bad side of me, and his name is Joker Ivy. So all of the adventures and all of the journeys leading up to what comes to be a war between Joker Ivy and all the citizens of Ivylantis leads to one big mashup and adventure that I'm sure everyone will enjoy reading when they get their hands on this book. Yeah, sure sounds like it. Uh, Mark, how were you inspired to write this? Where'd you get the idea? Well, me love reading and me watching movies based on the books that I love to read. I kind of got this idea to write my own book from, you know, classical pieces of literature such as Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I think people will be able to see the connections, but I don't want to say anything just in case people who are listening to this will be able to get the book for themselves and take it upon themselves to read it. But yeah, it's just like classical works of art like that inspired me to write this book. What kinds of readers do you think would be really into this, Mark? I would say young adults, young adults that are like, you know, imaginative, creative, And, you know, just looking for a fun little story that they can follow along with that could make their afternoon special if they decide to read it. Hmm. I would say young adults. When it comes to writing and publishing, Mark, what's your background look like in that? Have you ever done that in any sort of major way before this? Absolutely not. This is my first book. This is my first project. I am going to continue this journey. Absolutely. But as far as me doing any other background things, Prior to Ivy Charm, I have not, which is why I'm so super, super proud of this. 
Now, being your first book, did it take a long time for you to write and get published and everything? Absolutely. Okay, so I wrote the book when I was 13, and it was complete by the age 13. Oh, wow. But having a book published costs a lot of money. So I had to start working to be able to not only make payments on my own, but also get it done in the sense of the cover, the editing, the proofreading and all that. I even did my own illustrations, which a lot of people are not aware of. Oh, wow. It did take forever and a day, but it was all worth it in the end. I'm so glad I did not give up on it. When that first copy came in of the printed version of Ivy Charm, Mark, what was that day like for you? It felt like a dream come true. Like, I was so happy to see all my little characters. I was in shock that I could hold it in my hand and I could flip through the pages. I felt very official because literally my name was on every single page. It looked and felt like a professional book, you know, the many ones that I read before. And I'm just super happy that this came to light. So I'm so proud. Again, the title is Ivy Charm. It's written by Mark Ivy, published by the Audiobook Network. So head on over to wherever you like to pick up your audiobooks, like on Audible or at iTunes, on Amazon, and you'll be able to find this. Well, Mark, thank you again for joining me and tell me all about this really interesting book. I had a nice time talking with you. Oh, thank you so much. This is my first podcast interview, and I'm so happy, and I cannot wait for people to go and listen to this and hear my voice on the radio. I'm delighted to be joined right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable by author Doug Armstrong. Doug, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me here tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's really exciting. You have a new audio book. It just came out called Doug Armstrong, Scottish Cherokee, a blood expose. Doug, can you tell me about this? Yes, I can. Actually, it it morphed out of, uh, or should I say, from a couple of family reunions that we had. And my father, who since passed, got really excited about it and did some additional research. I did like a little basic stuff just for the family, you know, giving them a little genealogy, a little historical facts about where our name came from and whatnot. Hmm. And my father got really excited. He was a quiet man in his youth when I was growing up, but he, he once he got past 70, he wouldn't stop talking. He was so engaged in everything. And the next thing I know, he's like going to cemeteries, interviewing family members three and four counties away, hunting literature articles down about history and our name. And like hmm. the next thing I know, he's giving me like a four inch binder full of all these facts and stuff related to our name. So obviously all deaths are kind of untimely, but I would do something to honor him. And it is something really interesting and exciting about, I guess women go through the same thing, giving birth to a child. The the, uh, follow-up research I did from his foundation and then the hard work it took to bring it into existence, it was pretty awesome. I get a lot of joy out of just the fact to know that I kind of created something. Hopefully, it'll pass the test of time. (laughs) Doug, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? Anyone that's interested in history, I know I grew up looking at a lot of black and white movies, 
Kirk Douglas and the like, and I got really attached to Greek mythology and Roman civilization and um, a history, a war. I won't say a buff, but I'll stop and take the time to look at any old history uh, movie. Anything historical will, will catch my eye. And I love the interaction of people in those specific or different time frames, how they survived, the, the wars, what caused the war, you know, how they interacted. Doug, are you new to the world of writing and publishing, or have you done this kind of thing before? Never done it before. This is my first project. I've learned a lot. I've been in college and I've obtained a master's degree, but that's a different thing altogether when you're studying to take tests Mm. versus actually writing and trying to imagine and picture stuff and then bringing actual facts in together. My wife told me, she said, you can list a lot of facts, hon, but you need to tell a story. So I said, oh, my gosh. Mm. (laughs) That was the biggest challenge, you know, kind of integrating both pieces both ideologies, you know, the facts plus a little bit of the fiction in it as well. Doug, once you started on this book, how long of a process was this until the printed version and the audiobook came out? It was about six to eight months. I worked full time, so I, I didn't do it every single day, but, you know, it would be more like in spurts. Yeah, roughly about eight months. It must have been a really special day whenever that first physical copy finally came in and You got to hold this book for the first time, Doug. What was that like for you? (laughs) It was. I had to, actually, I bought a couple and it was handed out to my friends. Hey, look, check (laughs) check this out. See what I did? Yeah, that was a great feeling. That's kind of what I alluded to earlier is like I I had to calm down. You're buying up all the books. (laughs) (laughs) What are the chances that you would do it again? Do you see yourself maybe writing and publishing more down the road? Yeah, actually, you know, I randomly just asked, what was really the biggest thing, and I know it's an old cliche, a picture speaks a thousand words. And I mean, you know, you can tell a story and, and use your imagination. You know, I, I had like the evidence of the family members right there. So, yeah. I think a lot of readers and listeners are going to love this book, an audiobook. Again, the title is Doug Armstrong, Scottish Cherokee, A Blood Expose. It's written by Doug Armstrong. And it's published by the Audiobook Network, so head to Audible or iTunes or Amazon and you'll be able to pick it up. Doug, I really appreciate you coming on this show and telling me about this really fascinating book. I had a nice time talking. Thank you so much. The book we're talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable follows the author's fight for freedom from her marriage. It's written by Lorena Bashir and it's titled From Bliss to This, A Woman's Incredible Journey Through a Cultural Marriage. And Lorena is right here with me now, and we get to talk all about this book. Lorena, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for being here. Mm, Thank you. Absolutely. Lorena, can you tell me all about this book and the story behind it? Yes. I fell in love and was blissfully married to a Pakistani man. But we got divorced when I learned that he was deceiving me and had betrayed me and my trust right after he convinced me to sign him on the deed of my house. And what sparked you? What persuaded you to write this story and publish it? Well, it was partly therapy for me to get it out. Hmm. 
I find that writing is very therapeutic. And when I started writing the story, I was basically going to just transfer some journals that I had made when we traveled. And I was going to transfer the handwritten journals into my computer. But somehow the feeling of getting everything into that computer became a little obsessive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just kept going. And all of a sudden, I had a book. And what sorts of readers were you speaking to here? Did you have a target audience in mind? Um, mostly, I think I was very interested in getting women to understand that marriage to a foreign man is not the same as to someone that grew up a little more similar than you did. And I think that my target audience would be any woman who dates a foreign man. And these days, there are plenty of them in this country. They need to do their homework. They need to understand who they are married to and understand that he might look like the right man, but that doesn't mean he is. Lorena, what does your writing background look like? Before this, had you written or published anything? I've written a short story, and I have that on my website, and that's, by the way, LorenaBashir.com. And I wrote this short story back in the 80s, and uh, it's pretty good. So I put it on there. Once you got started on From Bliss to This, Lorena, how long of a process was it clear up until it was published? It actually took me about 15 months to write it, but I had been journaling since we met. We went to Pakistan several times, and I knew that I was going to see things that I would probably never see again. So I wrote every single day, every time we went, and those journals became a big part of my story in From Bliss to This. And there's nothing like seeing that finished product, especially after all the time and energy that you put into something like this. So when you got your first copy, Lorena, and you got to hold it and see that it's a real thing, what was that moment like? I cried. (laughs) I cried for 20 minutes when the box of books came. I just held the book against me and I couldn't even open it because I couldn't believe that I wrote the book and I was holding it in my hand. It was a very emotional experience for me. So I would have to say that taking a look at that book that was mine and seeing all the things that had been troubling me for so long in a 24-year relationship all packed away in a book and out of my brain, that was really a big experience. Lorena, have you given thought to maybe writing more in the future? You know, I I like what you said about how you sat down and started writing and then the words just spilled out and you didn't want to stop writing. So do you have plans for the future? Well, I thought about that. And right now I'm just writing some recipe book. But it's taken me some time since I wrote this to get used to the idea that I'm actually an author. So <laughs> I, I write for fun. I write poetry and short stories and recipes. So I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go with writing after that. I probably will write some more poetry. And I, I don't want to write any more nonfiction books about my life, but I have a great imagination, so I'll just see how it goes. Again, the book is called From Bliss to This, A Woman's Incredible Journey Through a Cultural Marriage. It's written by Lorena Bashir, published by Newman Springs Publishing. So, of course, you can get it anywhere. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. You'll be able to get it. Lorena, it's been really nice having you on the show and talking to you all about your book. I hope we can do this again sometime. Well, so do I. And thank you so much for giving me this time. 
I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Peter Ballone. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here again. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy working with you and talking with you. I always enjoy talking with you too, Peter. I wanted to congratulate you on another book. It's out right now, titled A Layman's Challenge to Eternal Security. It's a thought-provoking discussion of salvation. So, Peter, can you tell me more about it? Yes. I'm probably going to turn a bunch of your people off right by what I'm about to say. But eternal security never originated in Scripture. It is not God-ordained. It is something that man came up with in the early advent of what I call the mainstream churches. And it is a fallacy, and it has probably led many, many people astray. That is the idea of eternal security, or once saved, always saved. And my book, with many proofs, tries to show the heresy that this thing is. That's a pretty radical stance, Peter. What inspired you to write this? What sparked it? Well, actually, this book is the fifth book that I have written. I've written three challenge books, one reference to the rapture, one in to repudiate the false notion that Paul was against keeping the law and this eternal security. Plus, I've written two non-challenge books. One is called When Time Finally Runs Out, which has to do with the end of the 6,000 years, and then revealing the book of Revelation. It's a rather large book and incorporates the entire book of Revelation and explains things that people are mystified about. Peter, were you writing for a general Christian audience or a more narrow audience? No, actually, the scope is very, very wide. My intent is to try to get the Christian to look into some of the doctrines and theology that issue forth from their various and sundry pulpits. Like the book of Revelation, I mean, it's worldwide. How many people in various religions talk to the book of Revelation in respect to their own religious concepts? Peter, how long does a book like A Layman's Challenge to Eternal Security take you to write, considering all the research? Six months to a year. Well, unfortunately, this has happened to me. I wrote it, tried to get it out, thinking that I had actually made it a good read. And then when I had the opportunity to kind of relax and go back over it, I realized that I had not brought it to my standards. So at this very moment, I am rewriting that book so that it reads better, has very little typos. As a matter of fact, I would prefer to have absolutely none. But again, you know, editing and all that takes a great deal of time. When it comes to the publishing end of things, Peter, what do you find the most challenging part of it for you? Editing. Writing is easy. If you know your subject, I believe, now I don't want people to think I'm being weird here, okay? But I believe I have God's backing on this. Because some things that I never understood before became very clear to me as I began to write. But the editing process to make it right 
language-wise, to not put yourself into a book. Mm -hmm. That means basically my own thoughts and ideas. I sometimes have a tendency to get them in there and then I got to go back and get them out of there because people don't need to, you know, have me scolding them. Well, I think an awful lot of readers will be blessed by this book. Again, the title is A Layman's Challenge to Eternal Security. It's written by Peter Ballone, published by Christian Faith Publishing. So go over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to find this. Peter, it's been wonderful having you on the show again and talking about this book. Thanks again. Okay, thank you. We'll see you maybe on another one, huh? Using our imagination and having fun enjoying new experiences, we can do these things at any age. And that's one of the things explored in the new book by Betty Slater series. It's titled, John J. Hammerlink Finds His Imagination. And we're going to find out all about it. I'm talking with the author, Betty, right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Betty, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be there. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I'm really delighted to find out all about John J. Hammerlink Finds His Imagination. So, Betty, can you tell me about it? Well, John Jay is a young boy who uses his tablet for entertainment. And when his great-grandmother comes for a visit, she helps him put down the tablet and use his imagination to have fun. As the story unfolds, both John Jay and great-grandmother find that learning something new can be fun and can occur at absolutely any age. I love it. Betty, what kinds of readers were you speaking to here? Well, Actually, I'm speaking to primary age children, and I think parents will also find something helpful in this book. What was the inspiration for you to write this? How'd you get the idea, Betty? I know right now the issue with kids and using technology, it's such a big issue. It is a huge issue. Actually, I'm in an exercise class, and several of the people in that class are teachers. And they were voicing their concern about how very dependent their students are on technology and on their tablets. And when they have any free time, they use their tablets to have fun. And so that kind of spurred, I said, maybe I should write a book about that. And they said, oh, please do. And then I began just noticing children out when I was in different circumstances and how truly how very dependent they are on iPhones and the tablets. And so being a big believer in creative thinking and using your imagination, I wrote this book. Is this your first time writing and publishing, or have you done this before? I have done this before. I wrote a book several years ago called John J. Hammerlink and the Really Big Think. And it's about problem solving and how a young man who never thinks, at least his mother tells him he doesn't, learns how to use a very simple method for solving problems. And he saves a neighbor's life and becomes a hero. Do you think down the road we might see more stories about John J. Hammerlink? (laughs) At this stage, probably not, unless something really triggers me to take pen in hand again and put together another John J. book. Once you sat down and started writing this, how long was the whole process clear up until it was published? Well, I think it was during COVID that I started this, and then I kind of put it down, and then I began noticing little things and was encouraged by several people to actually complete the book. So I would tell you that it probably was a good two-year process from the initial idea until I 
had the book completed and sent it on to a publisher. What was it like to actually hold it then for that first time when you got that first copy in and everything? What kind of an experience is that? Well, it's a very complex experience because you've been working with the illustrator and with the publishing company. And so you watch the book grow. So when it gets to its fruition, you're going, wow, you know, this is so cool. And then the next thought is, (laughs) is anybody going to buy this? (laughs) (laughs) So you have, you know, the sense of accomplishment, but also there's a bit of trepidation involved. And based on everything that you've picked up, learned along the way of doing this publishing, Betty, do you have any advice now that you could offer to the aspiring authors who are listening to us? Well, I would tell them to go for it. If you have an idea, put it down. And obviously, your first idea is not going to be your final product. But my very first book, I was in a writing class with a fairly well-known author. And he had us write just an opening sentence. And I wrote, actually, the first sentence. It's it's in my first book. And he said, finish it. You don't have to do it today. Take your time, but just finish it. So I would encourage people who want to write to begin. Write down those first couple of sentences and then let your imagination flow and let your book grow. Good advice. Again, the title is John J. Hammerlink Finds His Imagination. It's written by Betty Slater Series and is published by Covenant Books. So go anywhere that you'd normally like to pick up your books, like at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Betty, it's been really wonderful talking with you tonight and finding out about your work. Thanks again for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. In his new book, The Gift of a Father, author Leonard E. James reflects on how his father blessed his life. And we get to talk all about this book. The author, Leonard, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Leonard, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here tonight. Ah, thank you. Absolutely. Leonard, can you tell me all about The Gift of a Father and what readers can expect? Okay, well, this is a book. I wrote it. It really was about the influence my father had on my life. I am in my late 70s. I am a black person who grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Some of my experiences there were not very pretty in the 50s and 60s. And with my father's help, I was able to get an education. I got a degree in chemistry, became a research chemist for a while, and then an engineer for an oil company, and I became an ordained minister. Also got a master's in a combination of math and computer science. I learned a lot, and a lot of it was based on things imparted to me by my father. It wasn't just in technology, but he also talked to me a lot about life, and that's what I put basically in the book. Not a lot of technology in the book, but he also inspired me in my relationships with women. My first wife was also a chemistry major at Jackson State. I was married to her for 42 years before she died. I married again, and in this case, God directed me to my second wife. And so one of the key things in the book, and this particular book is the second edition, and I added a chapter, and the chapter I added was the one on the supremacy of God and how God will guide us through if we will recognize that he is smarter than we are. 
And that was the one thing in there was the My Dirt little exchange that my father told me about. He mentioned it several times about the skeptic arguing with God that he didn't need him. He challenged God to say, I can do anything you can do without you. And in the discussion, God says, okay, cool, make me a man. But before you start, tell me how you're going to do it. And the man said, well, first I'll get some dirt. And God said, hold it, my dirt. And so that's a fundamental thing. Mm. And with all my experience in technology and a lot of other areas, I realized that there's nothing that I touch or use that didn't originate with God. And that's a fundamental idea. Leonard, once you decided to sit down and start writing A Gift of a Father, how long of a process was it for you until it got out there? Well, the first edition took me about two years. The second edition took me almost four. And what persuaded you to write this story for the world, to publish the story about your father and how he affected your life? Well, the main thing is, as I got older, I recognized I was blessed. There were some of the other kids I grew up with did not survive teenage. Hmm. I had my moments. Some of the things in the civil rights movement and some of the demonstrations, particularly when I was a college student, I didn't recognize how close I came to getting myself killed. And it took about 50 years for God to tap me on the shoulder and said, hey, I had your back and I have a purpose for you. And so that's what precipitated it. Mm. I have another couple of books in progress. The other is a gift of a mother because my mother and father were married for 59 years before he died in 2003. Wow. And my first marriage lasted 42 years. Another book that's coming after then is A Gift of a Wife. And one of the things I'm looking at doing is starting like a ministry, The Gift of Family. I know a lot of readers will definitely be blessed by this book. The title again is The Gift of a Father. It's written by Leonard E. James, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So pick it up everywhere that you buy your books, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Leonard, thanks again for coming on the show, and tell me about your father and all about this book. I had a nice time talking with you. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 